May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. The scripture is from 1 Kings 3, 5, and also 3, 7 through 12. God appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask anything of me and I will give it to you. Solomon answered, O Lord my God, you have made me your servant king to succeed my father David. But I am a mere youth not knowing at all how to act. I serve you in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a people so vast that it cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding heart to judge your people and to distinguish right from wrong. For who is able to govern this vast people of ours? God was pleased that Solomon made this request. So God said to him, because you have asked for this, not for a long life for yourself, nor for riches, nor for the lives of your enemies, but for understanding so that you may know what is right. I do as you requested. I give you a heart so wise and so understanding that there has never been anyone like you up to now. And after you, there will come no one to equal you. And we continue with the gospel reading from the book of Matthew at chapter 13. Jesus said to his disciples, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure buried in a field which a person finds and hides again and out of joy goes and sells all that they have and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls And when they find the pearl of great price, they go and sell all that they have and buy it. I'll just give a couple of scripture comments and then Mike Breckenridge is gonna come and share with us the story of his Caminos. I'm gonna do a kind of interview style. So this is the third in our series of prayer. And next week, Pastor Nora, who's on vacation this week, uh, Pastor Nora will pick up with another theme of prayer next week. When we started this, we were looking at the work of a uh, University of Dubuque professor, Gary Neal Hansen, and he has a book called Kneeling with Giants. And he's trying to teach us about 12 different ways to pray. Now, why would we want to know 12 different ways? Because we're not all alike. And we all have a different style that's unique to us about the way that we might connect with God. We might connect with prayers that we've memorized, right? So we call that the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father's Prayer, 
or the pilgrim's prayer. It might be something that we've memorized. Some of us might pray using um, a rosary or a, something physical. We talked about the, the labyrinth uh, on, on a wooden piece last week. And so we are looking for a variety of ways to pray because sometimes our life situation means we need to pray differently. When we're in a place of joy and delight and dancing, sometimes those prayers just roll forward out of us. And other times when we are suffering and we are in pain or we are feeling a lot of trauma, we might have to do it differently. And so the one that we're speaking about this morning is pilgrimage. So quickly on the scriptures, um, we, these tie nicely into to this theme. Pilgrims are people who seek to draw near to God. And you'll find um, narratives about pilgrims, in, particularly in the Psalms. And quite often we'll hear about it in the New, New Testament. We says, go up to Jerusalem. And it really is a physical process of getting there. And Jesus did a lot of moving and walking as well. And so we start to get this sense that there's something unique that happens when we travel or we move or we pilgrim towards a holy place. Well, I just caught the clappers, right? Traveling up a mountain. There's something spiritual that really happens when we're doing that kind of movement. And in that movement, for some people, actually I hope everybody who ever tries it, they have that experience of drawing near to God. Now the Camino that we're gonna be talking about is a particularly medieval practice. Uh, the labyrinth was also a medieval practice where people were really feeling their sense of distance from God. What was going on around them, right? Not so unusual even to us in 2023 that we might feel some distance from God. And so this traveling path was an intentional way to draw closer to God. They were also doing something that I think is a little bit harder for us as modern people to do, and that was to travel with the intention of letting go of sin, our sins. And we don't talk about that quite so directly, do we, or so comfortably, but they were doing both. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm moving towards God, and I'm laying down the things that are barriers for me on my way to knowing God. So I like the text that, that Bob read in 1 King. So it says, God was pleased with Solomon because his request to God was to give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to distinguish right from wrong. And God replies back with praises for Solomon because he doesn't ask, ask to become rich. He doesn't say, give me more money. He doesn't say, give me a long life. And this was an interesting one to me. He doesn't ask for harm of his enemies. Ooh, smoked. God does not want us to ask God to smote people. And so God praises Solomon, so that you may know what is right, was his request. And that is a gift that any of us would benefit from having, the gift of knowing what is right and to have understanding about this. Similarly, the gospel parallel is an illustration of what any of us would do for a treasure. 
we would put all of our efforts, all of our energy into discovering and obtaining the pearl of great price. And here really, it's talking about faith. Your faith should be as if it's a pearl of great price. This is highly valued. And it won't be extravagant unless we put some energy into it. The preciousness comes from the work of it. I was really debating what to do for the children's sermon. I was like, do I bring a piggy bank? Do I talk about you save up your birthday money or your Christmas money to get the thing that you really want? <laughs> um, but it's a little bit of that. It's like, where do we put our time and treasure? And it is in our time and treasure that we will discover our reward. And then Jesus is saying, I want your reward to be faith. And the opposite, the flip of that, is Jesus is saying, you are my reward. I will give my all, I give my life for you, Jesus says, because you are worthy. You are precious. You are the child of God who is the pearl. So the New Testament lesson encourages us to be followers of Christ, willing to work, willing to engage, willing to give our energy so that we might have a rich faith. So I'm going to invite Mike up. Uh, hey, Mike, when you come to the center, would you, would you do a little fashion show? <laughs> So I'm actually going to point this out. We brought some props for this you know, presentation. He got his hiking gear on, right? Nice, nice hiking pants. Because how far did you go on your Camino? 450 miles. Yeah, I hear that, clapping, 450 miles. 400. And I'm also noticing really nice socks. Yes, hiking socks. Why, why would you wear really nice hiking socks if you're walking 450 miles? To avoid blisters. <laughs> and sandals. Did you hike in sandals? I did. I had a pair exactly like these, except I wore a crack in the bottom. So these are brand new as of today. Oh, so we could say you have your Sunday best sandals on. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Um, we chatted a little bit beforehand, but Mike, would you tell the congregation kind of how you, what inspired you to do a Camino? Yeah, so I've done it twice now. The first time was seven years ago with my niece, Emily, who came here several times. She grew up in Florida and came to college here, and I was the only relative in town, so we'd often do things together, especially her freshman year. And one day we were watching the movie The Way at my house, and I made the offhand comment that, oh, I want to do that someday. And right away she said, well, I want to do it too. And so from that day on, freshman year, we were planning our Camino. And four years later, when she graduated, a week after her graduation, we were on the plane and flying to Lisbon. OK, how many of you would love an uncle like that? <laughs> yeah, right, like an out of town. She, she chose to, to come to Hamlin from Florida, out of state, and probably didn't know really a soul. Well, and I inspired her on that part, too, yeah, because I was taking classes at Hamlin, and she liked what I was taking and decided she wanted to do that, too. So, 
She got a role model, friends, didn't <laughs> for, she? For better or worse, yeah. It's beautiful, it's beautiful. So you and Emily went. Yep. And, and we started in Lisbon. We walked the Portuguese route, so we walked from Lisbon basically straight north to Santiago. Uh, it goes through all of the major cities in Portugal along the way, um, including Porto, which is about halfway for us, second largest city in Portugal. And at that point, a friend of mine flew in and joined. And so he walked with us. It was the three of us from then. We got to Tui, Spain, which is the 100 kilometer mark. And I'll mention, she hasn't mentioned it and maybe doesn't want to, but Pastor Anne has also walked the Camino Portuguese from, from Tui. So anyway, she didn't walk with us, though. Uh, but at Tui, yeah, at Tui, my oldest sister and one of her daughters started walking. Now, we had opted not to walk with them because my niece, that niece likes to sleep in, and we wanted to, we basically, she would like to sleep till noon, and we wanted to be done walking by noon. So <laughs> we said, we'll see you in Santiago, and we went our separate ways, and we did see them. But then another sister of mine and her boyfriend walked in on the more traditional French route and met us in Santiago also. So it was sort of a family reunion when we got there. So there are three classic Christian uh, routes for pilgrimages, or uh, three Christian destinations, Jerusalem, Rome, and Santiago de Compostela, the Camino. People go to the Holy Lands to learn about the life of Jesus, where he was born, Bethlehem, and all along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and of course, the places where, the, where Holy Week and the Easter story took place. People go to Rome on pilgrimage to understand the roots of the early church and the life of Paul, and uh, that's Greece. And then this place, Santiago, is St. James, right? Yeah. And the cathedral there is massive. Yes. Do you want to describe it? Uh, massive. <laughs> Ornate. Uh, if you ever go, one trick I learned is show up first thing in the morning when they open, which is like 8 o'clock, and there's hardly anybody there, so you can get down and see the remains of St. James, etc., with no crowds or anything. But yeah, it is very impressive. And when I was there seven years ago, they were doing reconstruction because they had a big holy year a few years ago. And so at that time, we had to go through what I considered the back door, which was a little bit of a letdown. I learned this time it was actually known as the holy door that no one is allowed to go through, <laughs> except we happen to go through that one time. So yeah, everything just sort of works out on the Camino. Yes. So St. James, uh, and then St. James the Greater, if you're following that kind of thing, uh, was one of the apostles and he, then on his assignment uh, after Jesus' death, went to Northwest Spain as a mission territory and evangelized and brought Christianity to that part of Spain. And so he, he became beloved, brought the faith there. And then he needed to go back down uh, Israel, Rome, headed south, and he was beheaded. His remains, by legend, came back then to Santiago, and he became the patron saint of Spain and that region, which is an interesting area they call it Galicia, because it had also a strong Irish uh, landing. So you can, you're in Spain and you hear Celtic languages and you and see- bagpipes. 
and big bites. Yeah, in fact, there's always someone playing the bagpipes right outside the cathedral. Yeah. Not quite sure where you're at, right. where have I traveled from. But it's also that way on the Camino because there are so many people who travel this. Thousands and thousands of people travel it. And the routes, you can come all the way down from Ireland, from other parts of Great Britain, uh, Northern Europe. Uh, Southern Europe come on, coming on up, so Portuguese, French route, German route, uh, yeah. And you will find people, where did, where did you, um, some of the people that you met along the way, where were, where were they from? Yeah, so the people that I grew closest with, there was a couple from Colombia, a couple from Australia, several people from Canada, very few actually from the U.S. There was one young couple I met from San Francisco area. But yeah, all over. When I, oh, in Germany, when I had done it before, I remember talking to a guy, well, when I say before, the 2016 trip. Well, yeah, aside from that, though, I was going to say that I had met one guy who had walked from, I think it was Finland. And when I asked him, well, how are you getting back? Oh, I'll walk back. <laughs> yeah, so a little longer than I did. But yeah, I, so this time, well, when we did it before, my niece and I, it turned out, this particular route, the Portuguese route, was formalized 10 years ago, and we walked it seven years ago, so it, there weren't many people doing it when we did. And the entire first week, we, it took us four weeks to walk, so the entire first week we saw two other people walking. And one guy was only one time, it was a young guy who crossed the street in front of us, and that was it, you know, we never saw him again. But then the other one was George from Germany, and we got to talking with George, and he, we were like the tortoise and the hare, that we'd plod along, and he'd go whipping by us, because this was his eighth Camino, he'd done this thing before, you know, but then he'd sit in the shade and rest and have his shoes off, which is one way of avoiding blisters. And then we'd plod by him again, and you know, throughout the day we kept doing this, and this lasted for about a week. Well then, this year when I went, I was walking along, and it was like about day five for me, and I, this guy comes walking up beside me, and I was talking with him a little bit, and I caught a little German accent, and I said, is this your first Camino? No, this is number 17. And I said, are you George from Germany? Mike! And he, <laughs> it was just amazing that we were in the same place. At the same time, he's done 17 Caminos. This was his second time doing the Portuguese Camino ever. He was there at exactly the same time, same day, same place, and we recognized each other seven years later. And that's one of those things that is just, it happens on the Camino, and unexplainably. We had a, a few illustrations that we were going to use, but let me pull to a couple of notes on those. When you um, travel the Camino, people are kind to you, aren't they? Yes. They, it's hard to meet a not kind person on the Camino. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a revered activity in Spain uh, because people travel by foot, they travel by bicycle, you can even sometimes see somebody on a donkey. Yeah, or a horse, right. Yeah, uh, non-motorized transport. If you go the last hundred kilometers, that's when you can get a spiritual indulgence. Basically, your sins are forgiven. He's done it twice. I won't ask what he did in between the trips. Yeah, you would think <laughs> it would just be a wild party all along the Camino, but <laughs> it isn't. So when, when you hike, people would call out to you, wouldn't they? They'd oh, yeah. Greet you. How, how did they greet you? Well, in, in Portugal, bon caminho. In Spain, bon camino. Mm -hmm. 
I actually, I don't get that right. I always do the Camino because it's like more Portuguese. Yeah, I remember when I did it with my knees, we were near the border. We were still in Portugal. And this old man was working out in his garden and he called us over and he asked if we were pilgrims. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so he said, oh, well, here we say Buon Camino. But there they say Buon Camino. And it's like, it sounded exactly the same to us. You want to talk about your shell? Sure. Yeah. So this is the shell that almost everyone on the Camino will wear to show that they are a pilgrim on the Camino. And uh, the, there are several stories behind why they use a scallop shell. Should we go into that? So two of them that I like. One was that it was a way to prove in medieval times that you actually got to Santiago because it's near the coast, right? And so when you go back home, you can carry it and prove that you got there. But also, they talk about how there are these lines that all sort of converge at the center, and that that is a metaphor for all the Caminos, all the different ways that you can get to Santiago. And then that's a cross of St. James yes. on the red on it, yeah, yeah. And people will tie them on their backpack, they'll hang them over their neck, they'll maybe yeah. have it on their hat. In fact, that reminds me of another mm -hmm. story, if I may. That there was one point when my niece and I were walking, and Larger cities are hard to find your way out of because there are many roads, right? If it's a small village, it's like, okay, just take the one north and you're pretty good, right? But the larger cities, I, we always got lost. And so on one, we were walking along and it had been a while since we'd seen any kind of arrow. So we were questioning if we were really still on the correct path or not. And I heard this clicking behind me. So I said, well, let's just slow down a little bit. And so we slowed down and sure enough, this guy comes walking by with his trekking poles, which were causing the clicking, and he had a full backpack. And as he walked by, I saw the Camino shell swinging from the backpack. And so we decided, yes, we're on the right path. Let's keep going. And he walked around a curve. You know, the street kind of curved off to the right. And we followed him up there, and then we never saw him again. Another one of those Camino things, you know, that it's like just he was there for the five minutes that we needed help, and then that was it. I think things like that happen regularly for those who, who are intentional pilgrims. Right, well, and they say the Camino provides. Mm -hmm. That was how it provided for us that day. Mm -hmm. And then another phrase I'm thinking is everyone has their own Camino. It's not a universal experience because each individual walks it. Each individual is searching their own heart, trying to find their own unique connection. Many people will walk a Camino after a divorce, after becoming a widow, widower. Uh, medical students will often take it as they're trying to discern which yep. uh, specialty they might want to go into. Some kids during college to figure out their major. So people walk it for a variety of reasons because they have that time to be in silence, to be meditative, I would say, in that walking, that walking prayer. Think of Thich Nhat Hanh and walking meditation, right? Um, so everyone has their own experience on it, don't they? Yeah, and their own struggles. I was looking through the slides you had prepared, and I saw your picture where you were bandaging your feet. <laughs> Luckily, I had not had that issue. I have one blister out of two Caminos, so 900 miles of walking. Mm -hmm. But 
Some people, you know, we are all given gifts, right? And one of my gifts apparently is I have tough feet, right? <laughs> but, I, you know, people, it's funny when you talk on the Camino and everyone's talking about what they do to avoid blisters, right? Oh, I wear two pair of socks and I put Vaseline on my feet and I do this and that. And it's like, how do you know? You know, how do you know if any of that helps, right? It's like, I had a pastry for breakfast every day and I didn't get any blisters. Okay. <laughs> I breathe and I didn't get any blisters. You know, that doesn't mean anything, right? There's no cause-effect relationship necessarily. I'm going to invite folks to continue the conversation with you afterwards in the fellowship hall. But uh, I just want to thank you for doing the Camino because the kind of wisdom one picks up, the kind of spirituality one develops, you carry it with you, and you've brought that back here to St. Luke. It's gone twice, and this year was a particularly tough landing before you got to fly home. Mike got sick. COVID. COVID, yeah. And then wasn't able to even really jump right back in here right away. Right. Till we were like, oh, please be really healthy. And we're so grateful that you got to go in 23 and that you came back well. Thank you. So, should we just say grace and peace to our brother here? <laughs> Thank you so much. Well, I was just going to mention I brought some treats for the coffee hour. I'm not sure if there will be enough, so I might encourage people to perhaps break one in half and share with your neighbor. Yeah, I don't remember one of them. One, though, is called I'll Push You, and it's a true story of two friends. One uh, has, well, they've been friends since like elementary school, and one has developed a, what, neuromuscular disease, much like MS, and is basically paralyzed from the shoulders down and in a motorized wheelchair, but he sees a show about the Camino, and he decides he'd like to do the Camino. And his friend right away says, well, I'll push you. And that becomes, yeah, and they're doing the French route. So day one takes him up and over the Pyrenees. Yeah, it's a documentary you can watch too on some of the streaming services. It's pretty impressive. And I don't remember what the other one was. Walking the way, like photos and a word story. Mm, yes, postcards from the way, I think, or some letters from the way. Yeah, and it's just a very nicely written book. She didn't actually, I think, make it to Santiago. She didn't intend to make it to Santiago, but she did a portion of the Camino and documented it. And she had asked people before she left home what they would suggest she think about while she's walking the Camino, because there's lots of time to think. And so then she would write these letters home and say, oh, I've been thinking about what you suggested, and here is what I, not concluded, but what, I, my, what my thoughts were on that. Maybe there are closing here is to talk about how one could do Little Camino if you stay in Minnesota. Little Camino. I think the Arboretum Walk, right? Many of you are members or just appreciate the Arboretum. It's a beautiful walk there. There's the little walks along Lake Minnetonka, um, the North Shore Hiking Trail. I know there are many avid uh, up north folks in the St. Luke congregation. And even a walk around our block. We can, as we walk by a home, we can pray for the family or that household that's there. We can take the intention of our prayer. So maybe you get the, the St. Luke prayer list. You can pray for a person as you walk around that block on that day or one mile out, praying and remembering someone. 
a different person on your way back. So there are many ways to practice this kind of spiritual, spirituality right here from home. Thank you, Mike. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.